And welcome back to Insemination for part two interview with David Barry, the donor-conceived biological son of Dr. Wartman, the Rochester OBGYN who committed fertility fraud, who recently deceased in a plague crash. We're not wasting time. I know you're itching to hear the rest of the story, so let's get right to it. Welcome back to part two with David Barry. How are you doing and are you ready for part two? I'm I'm ready like spaghetti and I'm doing well. Thank you. How about yourself? I am doing very well. I've been having uh, PTSD moments from our part one. Um, so Why? what I, could have possibly have drawn that sort of reaction? I, if you do, just a reminder to our audience: not only do we record this as a podcast, but we also film it, so you can watch the whole video on YouTube, and you will absolutely be able to pinpoint the moments where David traumatized me from this story <laughs> and just go, no, oh, Laura's changed there. Um, so we just can't undo that damage. We, oh, we continue. Yeah, no, but I feel like it's a collective trauma now as donor conceived people. We we all like we, we're all going to huddle together and, and we're going to share it and then go have snacks like that. That's what we just got to do. And, and you and I have literally done that. We have had snacks, which makes it easier. We have. We need more snacks. Um, I no do think snacks. I, I think whatever our next uh, D.C. trip is going to be. More, more snacks and happy more snacks. Hour. Yeah, agreed. Well, we've we've already resolved uh, an important matter before we actually get into part two. So I, I feel like we've made some nice progress here. Absolutely. And for anybody, uh, just just to let you know, all of the legal stuff, all of the legislation, we are going to be talking about that at the end of the episode. So make sure that you stay tuned for the whole thing so you learn how to help prevent fertility fraud from the future because, hey, that's the biggest goal we've got. Please do, because and I'm going to make a, a really unsavory joke here. But if this is just me talking about my crazy story, then this is only masturbation, meaning I'm the only one feeling anything. I don't want yeah. you guys to just walk away from this and say, wow, that's crazy. Move on with your day. You can. Um, but I really encourage you to stay to the end because we're. I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible for you to to be involved, uh, to help us in, in some way. And we've proven already that people calling in and emailing literally makes a difference with um, certainly fertility fraud. Like we've already seen it happen. So please stay to the end. But until we get there, let's all collectively get traumatized and hear this part two of David Barry's story. Uh, just a reminder, uh, David Barry is the biological donor conceived child of Dr. Wartman. Uh, Dr. Wartman was a, uh, Fertility doctor, OBGYN in Rochester, New York, specifically Brighton. Is that correct? Uh, that's right. That's where his office was. Yeah. Well, or, well, it still is. Still is. Um, and Dr. Wartman switched out the chosen donor DNA uh, in so far at least 17 patients we have found so far. Yeah. 17, 18. I'm, I'm always yeah rounding off one way or the other in the wrong direction, probably. When you get past 10, you forget a sibling or two. Uh, <laughs> and Dr. Wartman just died in a plane crash. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of different emotions going around and there are, and we were already planning on doing this episode before we got that, that news. Um, but with that news, we decided that this is now or never. Let's talk about it. He's in the news and his whole story needs to be understood. Um, yeah. Everything that happened needs to be absorbed because what this man did in his life was quite, quite horrific. Uh, and we now have the power to change it. 
So let's do that. And let's hear the rest of the story. So we left off was you got on the phone with Dr. Wartman and you uh, and before that you had talked to one of his raised daughters that he had raised Mm -hmm. biologically his and she kind of gave you like a hint of going like here's how you get him on the phone this is what you're going to talk to him about and you also sort of like jokingly brought up like hey we all were wondering like are you the uh, are you the biological father because all of us siblings kind of look alike and we all look like you yeah what's up with that he knew it wasn't a joke when I when I asked you know pretty pretty directly but yeah I was trying to be light and, and cute about it at first it didn't didn't feel that way afterward. But. <laughs> so how did that conversation kind of like uh, like wrap up? How did that, how, how do you leave a conversation like that? Yeah, it's, um, so one of the things, and, I, and I'm glad that we had a part two, because as I was mentioning to you before, I I did take notes during this college. I didn't have them in front of me when we last spoke, and, and I do now. Um, and, and frankly, I'll, you know, I'll just tell you and, and everybody listening some of, some of those things. Um, one of the things that was uh, interesting to me, and I, th- I know I mentioned this last time, was the acceptance that um, that could come from the Jewish community to to me in particular. Um, and one of the things he said was, and, and some of this is verbatim, some of this is more um, just kind of my notes, but he said this literally is like, you need to hear this from me, um, that yes, if you want to become fully Jewish, there is a conversion process, right? Um, explore it, see if you want to type of thing. Um, and it's possibly important if you want to raise your son this way, which is the whole premise of what I told him the phone call was for. Um, but he, his, his first wife, he had said was, was raised Roman Catholic. Um, and when they married, um, but the Jews, his community of, of Jewish people would accept uh, her wife and, and people like me as, as quote unquote Jews by choice um, that, you know, that he had found that the Jewish people would always be very accepting in that regard. Um, he also had made a comment that, if I make that commitment that I do want to go through a full conversion and decide to live a Jewish life, then I have every right to claim my identity, um, which I don't know was or is an intention of mine, but I think in some ways it allowed me to see the the potential for, um, for not feeling like an imposter, which mm. is if I really did want, you know, to, yeah to not feel that way, that there was, there was a path for me. And in some ways, and again, this is the weird theme of this, which is, I know too much going into the phone call. If I didn't know any of those things in this phone call, this this was nice. Um, of course, that's that's <laughs> not all that I took from it. Yeah, um, I, 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 there there was a subtlety, there was a subtext to this conversation that was a little bit more at the forefront. A little, uh, just a tiny bit. The the last thing that he said to me um, was Yash Aka, which in in um, Hebrew means go from strength to strength. Um. And those were the last uh, words of our conversation. And as it turned out, you know, the, the last words that I ever I ever spoke to him, which probably would have been the case, you know, regardless of when he had passed or how he had passed. Um, and, you know, honestly, even as I'm saying that now and reading it off the page, which I had, I forgot that uh, that phrase, I don't know what he meant um, by it. And, and maybe it wasn't a loaded statement. Um, if anything, I thought it was, you know, a nice, a nice sign off. And, um, yeah, hanging up that, that call was, was a little weird. As I'd mentioned, I, like, I was at the gym when I, when I received the call. And so there was no going back to, to working out after that. It just (laughs) felt a little anticlimactic to say, all right, well, let me go finish some sets. Is it weird? Cause I mean, I know you, you didn't know, know like you do now, but that was the one and only time you ever 
spoke to your biological father. And he is your biological father in a very hideous circumstance. But for you, what does that like emotionally feel like knowing that that was the one and only time you ever got to speak to your biological father? It honestly doesn't feel that much different than how I have felt and how I continue to feel about him in the first place. Um, I am, I have, and I also recognize that I have the benefit of saying that because I did have a phone conversation with him. I know the rest of my half siblings, um, with frankly, with one exception, um, have never you know had a conversation with him, and so I have the benefit of knowing that I can check that box and say you know it's it's not of substance to me. But the, you know, I'm grateful in a weird way for for the things he shared with me. Yeah. I'm grateful that it doesn't have to be an open question for me. But in terms of how I feel about him in my life and the role that he played, it's always going to be this uncomfortable dichotomy, which is to say, I, I shouldn't be here. The way that I got here is is not okay. And and yet I am. Um, in fact, Laura, you were with us in, in D.C. And one of the roundtables we had with some members of the House um, uh, Judiciary Committee, we we had come up with like this visual metaphor of saying, like, we're the last ones to arrive on the ship and we we want to be the last ones, you know, dropped off like no one else should come to shore uh, on the boat. It's, it's the last voyage, so to speak. I, so, I like that metaphor a lot. And I feel like, I mean, I definitely think if you're a, a product of fertility fraud, I think that th- this is the forefront for you. But I think mm-hmm. that a lot of donor-conceived people are right there with you of just going like how we were made, the just unethical ways on how all of us were made. It's like, I, I don't want this to happen to another donor-conceived kid. And l- let me paraphrase, let, let me just... I'm not trying to end donor conception. That is not my goal. I want it safe and ethical for everybody involved. But the way in which I was conceived and others were conceived, certainly in our age group, it's like, it can't, I'm sorry, we can't have that happen to another kid. We can't have that no. to happen to another parent. Um, no. I was in D.C. A, another time, and this is just a, an aside. We can kind of bring it back to center in a second. But she she was not donor conceived, but her children were. Mm. And she gave birth to um, a a set of twins. One of them had uh, health issues from the start, and he unfortunately passed away. I I want to say at five or six months old, um, of just not having been able to yeah. you know to overcome what this was. As it turns out, um, receiving a, a sperm donation, she learned um, not through the cryobank, but through others who had received. Um, sperm from the same donor, number one, that it was a prolific donor donor, and that the bank knew not only that, but that there were genetic abnormalities in in his DNA that he was passing on to, to his offspring. And if they had known what the ailment was, they would have been able to treat her son pretty quickly. Instead, they were treating him for any number of things that were not related to the rare you know disorder or illness that was afflicting him yeah and as a result of that he died and you know like we, we think of some of these things in, in hypotheticals right like i i'm grateful to say i have my health um there are certainly you know some things that come from dr wartman that are you know have afflicted some of my my half siblings and i have bad knees so we'll call it that but thankfully you know not some of the other more 
uh, taxing matters, but but hasn't involved, you know, life or death types of things. But it has meant that for other people. Yeah. And this woman's son would still be with her if, you know, if the bad actor and there's bad actors at, at every level. Right. It's yeah. not the donor. Right. Like if he knows that he has this genetic you know, abnormality or maybe he didn't. I don't know. But there was no screening process in place to identify that he would have that abnormality. And even after it was discovered, California Cryobank said, this is a popular donor. We're just going to keep shipping it out even internationally, potentially, which is like you're knowingly putting families in, in harm's way. Yeah. You have a better chance of getting, you know, the right burrito at Chipotle with the right ingredients than you do of having your child come home with the pieces and parts that you expected. And this is something I don't think people understand is I don't think they understand genetic testing and they don't understand medical history. There's a lot of misunderstandings on how both of those work. Um, and, uh, for anybody, you know, just, just letting you know, I will be getting a genetic counselor, uh, to be doing two different episodes with us. So stay tuned. It will be happening. We're going to be going full into the science of it. So, uh, make sure that you are subscribed to my podcast to make sure you don't miss those episodes because it's, I'm very excited that I'm getting her to come on. But, um, people don't understand what medical history is because when I'm like, we deserve our medical history. People are like, well, nobody has their medical history. And it's like, do you know both of your biological parents? Well, yes. So you would know if your mom had breast cancer. You would know if your dad had a heart attack. Well, yes, of course I would. I'm like, that's medical history. It's not knowing which mark genetic markers you have. That's right. the, that's that's genetic testing. And I'm like, yes, now that's a piece of knowing your full giant medical history. But knowing that oral medical history that is passed down from family member to family member saying, yes, uh, we have a long line of like men getting heart disease or yes, we right. uh, bipolar disorder runs in our family or like, yes, our family struggles with depression or uh, yeah, you know what? A lot of a lot of people have had breast cancer. That kind of stuff is that is medical history. And when it comes to genetic testing, I don't know a single clinic or cryobank who does an absolute full panel of genetic testing. No. And even if they did, you still can't genetically test for everything. Also true. You can't you can't genetically test for bipolar disorder. You can't right. do that. We don't right. we don't know. Maybe years in the future we can, but we cannot right now. Um, so even if we could do that giant panel, it still wouldn't tell you everything. And how genetic testing works is typically when you go into the doctor or the ho- or hospital and they're trying to figure out like, oh, shit, something's wrong. They don't do this like um, giant genetic testing panel on you. They're like, well, let's test for this. OK, but like, let's test for this. Let's That's a very good point. And there are how many genetic illnesses, diseases in the world? It's untold well it's not untold there is a number i just don't know what it is but it's thousands upon thousands upon thousands it's hundreds of thousands yeah the Um, other thing that to to play on to exactly what you're saying is in the absence of that ever happening and and the the other dilemma right most people are discovering that their donor conceived whether through fertility fraud or some other you know method um a lot of them are discovering later in life not not all but a lot of them are um and by then maybe some sort of ailment has already afflicted you and maybe you navigated yes. it well or you didn't. But what's happening, at least in, in my case, all of uh, our 17 or whatever the number is, half siblings are sort of using each other as a sounding board uh, of medical history because yes. we are starting to show some things that yes. mirror one another as the group gets bigger. So, but again, like there are things in all of our lives in this collective group where earlier intervention could have made a difference for several of us if we knew it was in the pipeline and we didn't. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, and it, again, and it doesn't just affect the donor conceived people. It affects their children as well. You just had a son. This yep. is going to affect your son as well. This affects yeah. um, you know, Morgan's kids as well. This affects everybody. Um, right. But let let uh, so but let us get back to um, let's yes, get back sorry. to your story. No, no, nothing to apologize. This is always a good PSA to remind everybody like how this actually works. Um, but so I know that right now. Uh, I would like to sort of actually do a little bit of a, a, a roundabout way is I know that you all are in process and we're, we're getting to the point of proving that he is your biological father. But yeah. I do want to highlight one other thing that happened with Dr. Wortman um, involving your sister Morgan. Um, and I only want to sort of touch on the story. I don't want to go dive into the details of it because that is for her and her to alone to share but I do think what happened to her needs to be understood because he's not the only doctor who has done this this does seem to be a pattern of doctors who committed fertility fraud um and uh so I would I would love for you to sort of touch upon that if you would yeah and and to your point and I don't want to be like playing cards with anybody or poker trying to show my face uh, or trying to not show my poker face, but you're hundred percent right. This, this is Morgan's story to tell in, yeah. in those nuances. Um, Morgan, like a lot of women, uh, at least in my understanding, arrive at the decision to choose uh, a gynecologist based on who their mother saw. Um, if there's, you know, a good relationship with that physician, there's, that's a pretty logical path that, to go down. That was my first OB um, as well. I was going, I went to the same OB as my mom. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, uh, and of course, I don't say that from my own experience, um, but, you know, but as I have heard and as it happens um, in this specific case, Dr. Wartman was not just, a, you know, an OB. He was a gynecologist and Morgan's mother uh, also saw Dr. Wartman for this. So the referral to Morgan was to Dr. Wartman to be her gynecologist. And she saw him for for several years um, prior to the discovery of any half sibling, you know, me uh, or, or any of the, however many there, there are. And, uh, and she saw him for several years. So I, I won't go down the, the path of, you know, the details be, beyond that, other than to say, unfortunately, your imagination is, is probably on the right path. Um, I will add one detail that Morgan shared with me and, um, you know, she okayed that I, I share this, this piece of it. Um, he was very aware. He was very yes. aware. Um, like this was not an accident. This was not an absent mind. He absolutely knew what he was doing and, um, very much of a trigger warning for what I'm about to, to share. One of the, the red flags that Morgan saw and she definitely was like, something's off was she would schedule a, a pelvic exam, um, a physical exam with the nurse practitioner and right. he would actively reschedule it so that he would be doing the physical exam. Yeah, he knew what he was doing, and it's something that th he is not the only fertility doctor who has done this, who has committed fertility fraud. We also have Dr. Kim McMurray's and we have Dr. Klein, who have also been the gynecologist for their own biological daughters without them knowing. This is th th this is very terrifying to me that this seems to be. Once it's one, yeah, I I always sort of lose lose my train of thought, and I always lose my words on this one because 
it terrifies me to think how much this is happening, how many other doctors who are doing this out there and their their kids don't know. They're they're seeing their their OB and they have no idea that's their biological father. It's it's one thing for for me to to go through what I've gone through and to say that it's been challenging and difficult and it and it has. But I also look at myself in the scheme of things compared to a lot of my half siblings and specifically Morgan and say, holy shit, I've got an easy ride compared to this because I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. Um, at some point in, in that process, let's assume the best case scenario, maybe he was ignorant at some point to knowing exactly who she was, but there was certainly a point, in fact, multiple points where he became increasingly aware of the context of who it was that he was dealing with and did exactly what you said, actively chose yeah. to intervene so that he would be the one seeing her. Um, yeah. And it's, I, I don't know how you as a file that, I don't know, like, how, how do you go to, what therapist do you go to? Who specializes in this? Like, how, how do you pack away this trauma? How, how do you even start to unravel this one? Um, and I cannot, I cannot even imagine, like, what her mom must be feeling knowing this. I, I can't believe, oh, God. And it's, it, 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 it's just the insidiousness of this is just it, it's never ending um so please understand that this is also going around in the background and we not not in the background but um this is also happening as well um so as they are trying to figure out is dr wortman my biological father please understand what emotionally morgan is going through as well um so yeah. you hung up the phone with dr wortman and then what is what is your next step? What is uh, collectively as the sibling pod, you like, what do you guys decide to do next? Yeah. So at this point, and just to kind of like dial it back, I I know that Ariel has already shipped in her DNA test. Ariel, so know... Ariel is the for anyone who forgot, Ariel is Dr. Wortman's biological daughter who he raised, who is now estranged from him. She's essentially no contact with him for at this point, 10 years. I think, yeah, that or a little bit longer. Yeah. Okay. So she's already shipped in the test. And this is like a, this is a real paternity test. This isn't like 23andMe to Ancestry. This is like a government approved paternity test. Correct. Yeah. Okay. This was, um, in fact, I will again, give credit to DNA Angels for uh, for this. because We love DNA Angels. Um, <laughs> they, they were already thinking, you know, far ahead in terms of um, like potential implications, like if there was ever some sort of a, a legal, you know, standing for us yeah. um, to, to tap into. This was the only way to confirm it. And frankly, this is also preempting when the New York Times wanted to write about it they wanted something more substantive and um, that would hold up in court, basically, yeah. if they were ever challenged. Um, it was the DNA Diagnostic Center that um, that we did our report through. And um, and yeah, so we were, you know, in that point waiting for the results. I shared with, um, I, I want to say, uh, you know, most of my half siblings, I presume that I had had the conversation, but um, sort of said like, look, you know, no smoking gun, nothing that we collectively may not have known or, or inferred. Um, and it was still just sort of this this waiting game, but it was not a long waiting game. Um, if if memory serves me correct, 
that phone conversation um, with Dr. Wartman, I want to say it was maybe two more weeks that I had to wait for those results to arrive. And um, I remember specifically saying to Ariel, well, like, this is not my information alone. Like I'm, I'm the one who's going to receive the results through email. That's the way it was set up. Um, but I agreed, you know, with her in advance that when I know that the results are in my inbox, I'm going to get on a zoom, just like you and I are now, and I'm going to share my screen and we're going to open them at the exact same time. And so that happens. Um, that email arrives. In fact, I have it here. Um, oh, I don't my remember. Goodness. Well, actually, this is a forwarded version. This is May 25th uh, of 2021, actually. And um, I I still didn't understand, like, there's locust, there's allele sizes. Like, I didn't understand a lot of that. Um, but I scrolled to the bottom with, like, a little summary. Um, yeah. You know, on the day that this came in, we ended up on Zoom, like I said. And it says, um, based on, I'll read it to you right here. Based on testing results obtained from analyses of the DNA loci listed, the probably probability of half siblingship is ninety nine point nine nine percent, and we both sat there, you know, briefly with just sort of that, like I don't want to even call it stunned silence because stunned would would not be the right word anymore. Like we we had already considered something that was so outlandish. If anything, my feeling was a mixture of relief and to say I don't belong in an asylum. For that, this was, <laughs> that this was even a possibility it was validating but in an extremely awful way kind of yes yeah, yeah. in the worst possible way it was it was validating yeah. yeah and i i honestly don't recall what i felt uh felt rather i, I in a weird way i might have felt some sort of peace which i wish morgan could have felt I wish some of my other half siblings could have felt um, selfishly for me in, in my context, there, there was some degree of liberation, like I said, because I, I'm not taking credit for all no, of the discoveries but in our group, but you didn't feel like, holy shit, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy that my gut instinct and, and I can, I, I can understand the validation, even with an awful thing, but going, holy fuck, I knew it. I fucking knew it. Yeah. Um, it, Obviously, and, with with Morgan um, and other siblings, this this unfortunately confirmed a whole wave of trauma that now they have to deal with. Um, yeah. But I I fully understand why for you it would be like I fucking knew it. And and also too, it was a mild dose of redemption from. And I'm not going to say I had a hard path compared to some of my other half siblings, but like some of the reluctance that my parents had in me pursuing some of this and finding, you know, answers and stuff like that. I, I felt vindicated in some ways that like I was onto something and yeah, I, you know, and this needed to be discovered. I, there's a quote from the book 1984, which has been quoted so much, well, all the time, but certainly more in recent years too, but in this context for a completely different reason, but it is, if you want to hide the truth, you must also hide it from yourself. Um, and ooh, that is really good. And that really yeah. for donor conceived people, that's like, oh shit. That yeah. hits. I, I don't know when I came across it. I was um I've read 1984 several times, but I remember remembering that and just that was sort of a like a rallying cry for me for a period of time, which is like, I can't conceal this. Like you put some, you know, a truth like this, that's just water under a rug and it's just going to develop mold. Like it's, it's not going to go away. 
and yeah. I I have developed a a real cold relationship with the truth. I'm in favor of it. I I I care about the implications of it, but not to the extent that I will avoid the truth at the expense of someone's feelings. I it, it is why I encourage donor conceived people to be like you 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 need to, you I understand why you just want to put this in the drawer. I get it. Or you literally want to bury this a, a hundred miles away from you. Like, I get it. It's not going to go away. It is. And what you might end up discovering might be extraordinarily hard. It might be horrific. But it also might be liberating at the same time. And I can't speak for everybody. And it's like, I, and you know, I'm I'm me. And, you know, I, I don't want to at all downplay any kind of trauma that anybody has gone through with finding out the truth but this this shit needs to get uncovered it has to get uncovered we have to figure out what the hell has been going on for decades yeah we got we it, as you said we got to clean out the mold we got to clean the only way is we got to peel back the carpets the only way we get the mold out yeah and, and it's it's not on me to tell people how to deal with their their own things because no. lord knows my path was not a straight one in terms of navigating this but i know for myself that if if i were sitting here today and i had not pursued like a rabid animal like the answers to these questions they would be gnawing at me somewhere and and one of the things i, I think i acknowledge this you know the first time we spoke that i had selfish motivations at a lot of times throughout this process and i'm becoming more and more okay acknowledging that but when when my son was taking up more real estate in in jesse's belly when when she was pregnant um it just became more and more real to me that like well he's actually going to be here <laughs> he's not just an idea and i i didn't want to give him questions i wanted to give him answers and in fact i hope that he grows up thinking very little about this that when he learns, you know, what, what this is all about, um, it's, I mean, yeah, it'll be a conversation starter, I suppose, for, for, for him if he wants to. Um, but he's not going to have to go answering questions that, um, that I did. And, you know, that was, that was another motivation for me too. But all of which is to say, it doesn't matter what your motivations are. And if you're worried about offending or hurting somebody or whatever, I understand, you know, like I had to navigate that with my own parents. Yeah. At some point, you also need to be able to to stand up on your own two feet if this is what you want and and confront those difficult conversations. And, you know, I'll use myself as an example, which is to say, mom, dad, this is, you know, part of your story. And I understand that. But this is my life. You you have the answers. You always had the answers. And I don't. Yeah. And and I I need to pursue this. And you know, I, I hope that the the loved ones in your life treat you with the with the kindness and gentleness that's re, that's deserving, um, even if they don't understand why, um, and you deserve it. There is a, a very weird phenomenon, and I well, and I it's not just with donor conceived people. I do think this is for like all MPEs adoptees, um, uh, but I can only speak about it from a donor conceived person's perspective. I just I, I know that this also this pattern seems to be affecting. Uh, other members of the baby business and all MPs, MPEs as well, is that for whatever reason, the the kid who 
never chose any of this, never chose to be donor conceived, anything, is responsible for everyone else's emotions around the donor con- around the donor conception. And yeah. our emotions about it come last. We are supposed to be grateful, not worry about it, not think about it, and it's supposed to just be okay. And we are supposed to actively worry about everybody else's feelings at the expense of ours. And the moment many donor-conceived people start to go, I I don't know if I'm okay with this, the literal anger, um, the just the, the cruelty that they face from their family, from society, is absolutely asinine to me. And it's like, this is half of their DNA. This is half of their body. This is going to affect them for the rest of their life. Yeah, they're allowed to have complicated emotions about this. They're allowed to go, I don't know about this. This kind of seems a little fucking weird to me. Why don't I know who my siblings are? That seems strange. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that seems weird. Or to be upset that you weren't allowed to know who your siblings were. And that your donor's anonymity literally matters more than your own health and safety. That you're allowed to be pissed at that. And you're allowed to be upset that your parents hid this from you. Um, This is all it is normal. And for whatever reason, society has just decided, no, no, you're just going to swallow all of that and take care of everybody else. Fuck your feelings. And what we have seen is as more and more donor-conceived people have been owning what they feel and do what you do and become like, I'm going to become a rabid research engine, (laughs) look what you can uncover and look what you're able to fix by us coming forward and actively pursuing what the hell this is, we have gotten regulations put in. We have set up support groups. We have been actively changing how the infertility industry works to be a much safer haven for donor-conceived people, donors, and recipient parents. So yeah, let us fucking speak our truth, assholes. We're (laughs) fixing it. And I would also say too, even the people who were conceived through an ethical healthy donor conceived you know path or whatever even the exposure of these conversations and stuff is creating resources by way of therapists who now have the ability to get training from something that they didn't know yeah you know previously was was an, an issue or that existed and so even people with quote unquote normal you know discoveries without any you know wild cards like ours are able to get help um to get you know someone who understands yeah. them who can help them navigate the complicated emotions like you don't have to have a dramatic, you know, story. You could have a totally healthy relationship with your family and everything too, but they're your parents are also not equipped to deal with, you know, the experience that that you're having either. I would argue, despite some resistance with my parents, they were mostly supportive, but they still don't have no. the tools or the experiences that I'm having. And having people who who understand my experience, who are also qualified to help me navigate it, has been paramount to me being okay. Um, yeah. We have discovered how pretty emotionally impactful it can be when you're separated from your biological family, even from birth. And so, yes, all donor-conceived people, it's like your your story matters. Your story matters. Your health matters. It it all does. Um. So 
But back to your story. So back to, you, back to yes. So we have confirmation. We know Dr. Wortman is the biological father. Where is Maury right now? Jesus. And <laughs> so we know this. What do you guys decide to do with this information? You just you you got you got dropped a truth bomb. You you're holding this. What do you do? For me, the first thing I did um, almost two weeks to the day was was hold my son for the first time. Um, that was awesome. And it just is what it is. I will never be able to pull Dr. Wartman out of that experience because he was in my mind, it was just sort of like this cartoon, you know, good, good angel, bad angel, like on your shoulder, you know, my dad and, and him on, on either side holding yeah. my son. Um, that was, that was hard for me. Yeah. Um, you know, even to still think about that in some ways was was hard for me. But but I'm going to fast forward a little bit to say I was only loosely interested in, and I, and I will say this is my perspective. I, I understand that some people want to pursue, you know, damages, um, you know, in, in the form of lawsuits and stuff like that. It has not been my personal motivation or, or interest. But what I will say started to get me like paying attention to that was I did think that justice was required. Let me let me clarify. I didn't necessarily think that I needed, you know, uh, money or, or compensation from it, mm -hmm. partly because I didn't see myself as the victim, even though I I recognize I have continued to experience the fallout. But I, I see my mother as yeah. as the the victim in this case. Again, this is my perspective. It doesn't. I don't disagree with others who feel differently. Um, but I was floored. I'd just not really been paying attention. But I was floored to discover that, like, oh, well, this guy's career is going to be on ice once <laughs> this is out, right? Because, <laughs> holy crap, you know? Anyone who's following me is just drinking right now, going, oh, sweet summer child. <laughs> Isn't it like the, the Kermit the Kermit meme where he's yeah. sipping, you know, his tea or whatever? It's, um, no, it, it, to me, it's 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 very much, you know, with the Spider-Verse, this is a canon event where everybody thinks like, oh, well, this guy's going down. Then it's like the wrong. boom. Yeah, noise. It's like, it doesn't happen. Um, yeah. And then it, and then, yeah, it's a canon event. I don't, you know, again, you, maybe you're listening to your first episode of Laura's podcast or, or many others. So I will repeat if you've already yes. heard. Um, at the time, I want to say nine states had fertility fraud legislation on the books. Uh, Would, New York state was no, not one of them. And just to, just to clarify, fertility fraud legislation makes the act of fertility fraud, meaning, you know, switching out the chosen donor DNA for your, your own or any other that you feel like this is not accidental. This is absolutely intended. Um, so the fertility fraud legislation essentially makes that illegal. And that egregious act, when David found this out, only nine states considered fertility fraud, had fertility fraud um, legislation passed. Today, today, marking what is it? It's Jul It's June twenty second right now. Yeah, in the year of our Lord, two thousand twenty three. Mm hmm. Uh, yes. Uh, the, the yes, the year of our universe. It <laughs> is. Um, we have eleven states. A whopping eleven states now. Big shit. Good for us. Pat on the back. <laughs> high fives all around. Look what we go, did. Um. Yeah. So, and that's always. That's always the first conversation I have with everybody. And I still get comments going like, this can't be, this can't be legal. This can't be. I'm like, I know it sounds 
comically evil. I'm aware that you, you're you thinking like, Laura, that you're making this up there. And I get people like arguing laws in my comment section. Yes, but what about this? What about this? I'm like, I get it. I understand. It's not yeah. how fertility. You're preaching to the choir here. I'm like, we get it. We agree with you. But literally, we were in D.C. in January trying to get this shit passed because it's not illegal. Anyway, okay. So you're thinking, I've got this guy. We're going to bring him down. His career is over. Fuck yes. We're, we've got it. We're going to make yeah. This this lemonade. All right. Let's right or wrong. You know. Let's. let's get I'm thinking justice. of it from like a positive standpoint, right? Yeah. Like, okay, well, I'm here. I'm I'm content. You know, like, let's do something good. You know, let's let's help make sure that you know this doctor is is not practicing because you put on you put on your little cape and you're like, and off we go. Oh yeah, but I'm a you know I'm a big deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So it's fertility fraud, not you know not illegal in New York State. No. Here's what I like to call it on the opposite side. Something like this that is not outlawed in a state, in my estimation, is actively endorsed because you've got yeah. at that point well, with the nine other states, right? New York being the oh, and progress the progressive beacon that it you know it loves to see itself as. And Eve has tried. Eve has actively tried to get fertility fraud passed in New York State. It's not that like no one has. Eve has tried. Yep, and right, right to know has has tried in in different you know angles. Um, they're they're you know have pursued different legislation, but yeah, it it just hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. It was what the there was momentum. Fuck New York. As two New Yorkers, as two people who were, I know technically you're not a New Yorker like anymore, but like you're still you were born and raised in New York, and I am yep. born and raised in New York and still live in New York. What the fuck, New York? Like, this is embarrassing. You want to know what state beat us to this? Fucking Florida. And I, the fact that I live Fucking in Florida, Florida. and I, I know how bass backwards Florida is, and it's only gotten worse in that regard. Now, I like to think I live in Miami where there's a little bit of, more of, of urbanization, but whatever. The If the shoe fits, wear it. But yeah, Florida, Florida. is one of those states that has fertility fraud legislation and had it. Like, I want to say they were, you know, state five to seven, somewhere somewhere in that range. New York, this is embarrassing. Texas beat us to fertility fraud. I can shoot anyone I want in Florida with the chances of there being minimal repercussions, probably. And this... This is not okay. They they what? made sure that fertility fraud was illegal, the but I can shoot anyone. Fuck, guys. Like, this is, like, New York. Get off your fucking ass. Like, we don't we don't get to wave, like, our, like, oh, my God, we care about humans flag. Like, we don't get to hold that flag anymore. Like, well, this is why, sad. Because there's not a, a flag attached to this issue, so, so New York oh. has decided it's, it's less important. I'm, I'm I'm venting. Well, I'll, I'll bring us back to center. I will say I do think one of the issues we do face is the infertility industry. Um, a lot of it is in New York. We have we we might have a few a, a lot of clinics in New York City. We have a lot of clinics and cryobanks within New York State. We now learn fertility fraud um, is totally groovy in the state of New York. It's fun. It's I mean, they're just like, have at it, kids. Go party, for it. Party, party, everyone. Um, so what do you guys decide to do? You know, at that point, I wouldn't say there was a collective anything. Um, I think some some members of our group wanted, you know, to pursue litigation and obviously saw this as a big obstacle to doing that. Morgan, being an outlier, um, had a completely different set of circumstances yes. um, that she could pursue based on, you know, the context that we've laid out. Um, I don't know, honestly, that there was a collective agreement. Um, I think... All right. So the legal part, notwithstanding, I think part of us still said, all right, well, then all right, if it's not illegal, then maybe 
maybe his license will be taken away, right? Like that seems easier if there's not a law, there's some sort of, you know, ethical boundary that has clearly been crossed. What I will say is, um, you know, up until his passing a couple of weeks ago, two years from the confirmation of uh, of him being our biological father and, and national press, international press, he was a physician in good standing in New York State until the day he died. And so that didn't happen either. Um, for me at that point, I didn't have, um, and I know what we're about to get into is, you know, like advocacy work. That was really not on my radar. I don't, you know, and, and again, like you never imagine yourself in certain situations and I'm yeah. not the person who will put on that cape and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the hero, but I was put into a unique situation when confirming this news that, and I'll kind of dial back when the New York times had first reached out to me about this blog that I'd been writing, they were the ones in some interesting ways that kind of set some of this discovery in motion by introducing me to people that, you know, I, I didn't know I was oblivious to yeah. this world that I'm now a part of. Um, and so the New York times, you know, obviously we shared the, the information with them and, um, I don't have like the exact timeline in my head, but a few months later, the, they ran, um, but you know, a, a feature story on, on this incident. And you had alluded to this before, but I want to say at the time, Dr. Wartman was either the third or the fourth doctor in Rochester, New York alone, who had been a perpetrator of fertility fraud. Um, doctors who had knowingly used I their own sperm. I didn't know that. I didn't know oh, yeah. that. Oh my God. Laura, I'm going to blow <laughs> it up even further because <laughs> several of them were friends with each other. Uh, they knew each other. Um, so we'll put that aside for a second. When the New York Times, no, your... hold on, hold on, no, no, no. I'm, I'm gonna speak for the audience and go. We need a second. We, we need a moment to digest that. Three, three to four doctors committed fertility fraud in Rochester, and they were buddies. Oh, did they get matching tattoos? Oh, it's a, it's a good question. They should, uh, they should have looked into that. I would want to like a... brand them. Jesus Christ! If you're gonna be part of a club, you know, um. I have to. I'm actually going to log in here real quickly while we're online. I think to my New York this Times always, account. This always this always happens where like I have a moment in this podcast and I get this sudden urge of like I need to clean everything around me. Everything <laughs> needs to get fucking cleaned now. Like why is it so dirty? Oh my god. Ah. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be this way. Yeah. Oh, they were all front. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't um, that they all would be you know smoking cigars, talking about swapping sperm. Um, you, you got to think it, it might have come up. Um, so this is what I wanted to, so from the New York Times article, um, let me see, because one of the doctors did go uh, on record and say something. Um, here we go. So Dr. Frederick Disginger um, had died the year before. So I guess this would mean 2021. And Dr. Robert Titchell, who is retired and was living in Rochester, um, were found in June of 2021 to have secretly used their own sperm with their patients as well. Um, it was also uh, gathered through genetic evidence from G DNA angels, as it happens. But Dr. Tischel, um, 89 years old at the time, I guess he's 90 or 91. I don't even know if he's still alive. Um, but he said, I was a donor at one time. Sometimes back in those days, this is a direct quote, sometimes back in those days before the days of fertility clinics, 
if you couldn't get a hold of a donor and you were working with a patient who was looking to get pregnant, it wasn't exactly ethical, but it wasn't unknown to happen. He added, I assume other doctors did it, but no one ever talked about it. Wasn't exactly ethical. Ah. Uh, my, fr my friend, that is exactly unethical. There, yeah. there is not a clearer definition of the, de the defiance of, of ethics. Um, Delusion is fun. Yeah. Oh, so, my God. So as it relates to me specifically, so this story um, hits the New York Times and, for better or worse, has a massive photograph of my face um, as, as part of the article, which um, kind of quickly you know, puts me in a, a position that I really was not the day before. Um, after that, Morgan and I were um, were interviewed together for Good, Good Morning America and um, and Nightline, which is apparently going to air someday. I don't know when, <laughs> but they have a lot of a lot of footage from having interviewed us, which um, put me in a position to start meeting some people who saw me as either an advocate or somebody who was advocate ish. So again, I, this is not something that I was thinking, but I was given an opportunity um, after meeting some folks to join the the board for for Right to Know, which uh, is an organization that hopefully some of your um, your listeners are, are aware of. But I, Kara um, is is a dear friend. I, I love what the organization does, and, and they're not exclusively in the area of fertility fertility fraud. I will clarify they they work with adoptees, um, you know, donor conceived people who have you know less nefarious you know circumstances and stuff but they serve a number of roles um largely in you know therapy and and resources for support anyways i was given an opportunity to to join that that group and continue to meet folks um you know over the course of the next several months and yeah it, it was afforded me an opportunity in october of um of 2022 where the first time i was able to go to dc and meet with some members of congress to talk about um about this legislation a little bit more broadly mm -hmm. and then again in january which is when uh when i met you with um with with eve jacoba kurt um you know the, the rest of the gang that was up there where we actually had hr 451 at that point uh with a name to assign to it and you know the, the way i looked at it was like this i didn't choose to go do you know if, if we'll, we'll call it advocacy work but it was sort of like okay in this really obscure, small, you know, subset of folks in society, I have, <laughs> I started to develop like a degree of celebrity, which feels like such a weird thing to say, but you know what I mean? Like in this really, really tiny and group of people. And it's a very weird reason to have <laughs> any kind of celebrity status. Yeah. yeah it, I don't even think there's a letter in the alphabet that corresponds with how low on the celebrity uh, status I am. It's, it, it's certainly not in the, the Phoenician alphabet that we use, but, um, but it, it gave me a forum. It gave me a platform. Yeah. And the way that I see it, it was just like, if, okay, if all I really have to do is show up and tell a story that I am already telling, yes. but I just tell it in front of different people who have, you know, some potential stake in being able to do something about it. Can I do that? And yeah. Like for me personally, in the context that I have, that is an easy yes. Yes. And and so if I, you know, and, and again, I I understand the advocacy label. It's not one that I particularly feel. Um, again, because I was, you know, I was already doing this on my blog when nobody gave a shit about me. So <laughs> for me to go do it in front of Congress is no skin off my back. But that's that is where I guess my 
my role in all of this has has come forth because, and I know I've said this several times, I look at my circumstance and my situation specifically, only for me, as a better scenario than a lot of others. There, there are people who are not as far along in their their journey as as I am, who have maybe not done some of the work that that I have. Or even if they have, or just not comfortable, you yeah. know, being in front of a room full of people. Never mind, I'm a member of Congress. You know, like I, I recognize each of those things are unique. But again, if all I have to do is is get in front of these folks, make a few phone calls, tell my story, ask some other people to be involved, I can show up for that. Why? Because just because I'm doing fine doesn't mean it was an easy process for me to be okay. And and I don't feel the need for legal recourse, but I also know that some people absolutely do, and it is absolutely their right to have it. Um, our parents are absolutely at the at the very top of that list. Our mothers, who who sat there in in stirrups in the cold yeah. room with the speculum, like all these things that I think we want to gloss over, right? No, we we can't because it's those details that make it crystal clear what happened here, what is absolutely unequivocally not okay and cannot happen again. Yes, and. So and sorry, I'm I'm, I'm getting fired up. <laughs> no, you know, I like, like passion. Stump, but... We we actually got a comment recently from somebody. Um, I, I believe that they are adopted, and they were like, um, I like seeing people being okay with being angry about this. And they're like, I like people not being polite and kind and not sugarcoating it. Um, and I so no, we we are we are all for passion and stating how you feel yeah. and not sugarcoating it and not and not being, you know, you know, just nice and, and making it. Pretty. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, we talked about this before in, in part one, which now really does feel like we're in part three. But like a doctor looked at several of our mothers in the nude vagina exposed and in a state of arousal or gets themselves to a state of arousal, masturbates behind a door, steps away from this, this woman who, mind you, in her mindset is not just naked and exposed, but is vulnerable and, and worried and hopeful all at the same time and thankful that this physician is here to help solve this, this challenge of getting yep. them to start their family. And the doctor takes that context and goes out and jerks off into a cup, probably looking at porn or maybe thinking about our mothers, maybe a mixture of both, and then comes in with a fresh sample, still in a state of arousal and inserts it into our mothers, does not disclose it to them, and and he can walk away. Yeah. And he did. And it, and it continues to happen. So yeah, I, it's not okay. Um, I, at a minimum want physicians or or not just physicians but anybody who who misrepresents uh the nature of of what it is that they're donating any of them and and frankly the the fertility banks that have a role in in facilitating the delivery of of these things all of them should be held accountable for this because it's not okay it's not and, okay and we're if we're not doing something about it then we're endorsing it and Speaking, I'll pause for a second. Speaking of the endorsing, um, when the news hit the floor of Dr. Wartman, tell me, David, tell me, <laughs> did Rochester all come together and go, fuck this guy, fuck Dr. Wartman, this is horrible, how can we as a city be okay with this, holy shit, oh my god, fuck you, fuck all this, 
and I'm I'm imagining a glitter cannon that just spells uh, loss of license. At least, like if you're not going to lose your license, you're certainly not going to get any business from us. Tell right. me, David, did that what we would all expect? everybody to, to, to come together and this is what we could all do. Did that happen, David? I'm just curious. Uh, Tell me how you know, much the town came together. Something about your setup tells me <laughs> that you might know the answer to that question. Yeah, no, nope, no. <laughs> it's fascinating to me. People, I'm generalizing, a lot of people have an issue with two truths coexisting at the same time. I know that there is a laundry list of women who have had life-saving surgeries from, from Dr. Warman, um, great experiences and, and you know interventions through, through multiple periods. And that is all true. At the same time, when, when there's unequivocal proof that this same individual has also done something else, we don't like it. When, when things that don't match our, our worldviews kind of crash into each other. But guess what? They do. They do all the time. And just because you know good things about someone, and whether it's a loved one who's who's close to you, or if, or if it's a, you know, a physician that you go to, wrong requires accountability. And in the case of a physician, it there is a method of accountability, or, there, or at least it should be in theory, that at a minimum medical licensing boards exist for this reason where the law does not intervene the medical licensure boards do you should have no issue saying this doctor is 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 capable he's great at what he does and he also multiple times violated the ethics and so many other words that fit into that the confidence and trust of his patients that is not a physician who should be practicing medicine and so I say all that to acknowledge the real, the more direct answer to your question is no. I, with great regret, I read the comments on all of the articles that were out there, oh, um, God. whether oh. it was national news or local news. And um, Eve Wiley got to me far too late in the process to say, you know, uh, avoid those things at all costs. And I didn't. Um, and it's not as if I didn't expect what, what I saw, um, but the fact that it, you know, my name was in the article that my picture was in the article it was my story um you know obviously was um not obviously it, it was more hurtful than i i wish it was i allowed some of it to you know to eat at me and and the things that you hear are exactly that some women coming on and defending well you know he was he's a great doctor you know like he, he took you know great care of me i'm happy for you he took great care you know of my mom at other points in their working relationship too. You know, oh, by the way, before the violation, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Um, so, so there's that, right? And and immediately, that's you know, that's dismissive of something that like yeah. has happened, and and my experience and those of my half siblings. Then there's the the larger contingent of people who are saying, well, who gives a shit? You know, like you're you're here, like why are you complaining? Yep, awesome. That that's a sophisticated thought. Um, and then the other is, um, well, you know, well, in best. addition to that, your your dad's a doctor. Your dad's a doctor. Oh God, why everyone? I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Now I'm better. Thank I'm you. everyone <laughs> that that I get in the comment section whenever fertility fraud comes up. Everyone's just like, what? Why are these people whining? Their dad's a doctor. They got doctor genes. I'm like, you imbecile. 
Yeah. Imbecile. Yeah. I don't know how to how to break this to you. Um but yeah, this this is and 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 just to make sure that everyone like understands that this isn't something that David um, is the only one who's gone through. Jacoba, what she faced, um, she actually, if you go to Jacoba's Instagram, she has like one of her like pinned stories um, or like pinned highlights is the um, the trolls that have come after <sighs> her saying like you need to be more respectful to your father. That man is your father. Like she has. Um, Eve Wiley yeah. had articles written about her going like, well, like, you know, I guess Eve is really struggling with this right now, but hopefully, you know, she can really find peace and stop, you know, hurting this man who is a good Christian man who has been there for his community. Like this happens. Yes. All yep. in, like, I've, I've seen work. Like I've seen work. the same thing said in, in our situation. A hundred percent. And now don't get me wrong. I'm, I also need, and this is not defending anybody, but we're talking about the internet which is not a place where people show up with their, their best selves or are capable of nuance. Right. So new, I, like, nuance? I know that I need to, what's that new, 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 is that French? <laughs> what the fuck is that? It's, it's, it's new balance. Uh, but yeah, but in France, it's a sneaker brand. Um, but yeah, exactly. It's like, all right. So I, I know I need to keep that in context that people are, are here for the sound bites and blah, blah, blah. Right. But it's just like, but at the same time, there are people who are hearing this information and actively choosing to say what I have to say about this is the thing that they need to hear right now or that they haven't considered. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I regret that, um, that I allowed myself to be, you know, to be sweeped up into that. But, but again, it, it doesn't matter what those, you know, those people thought or, or said because it didn't change the situation and it still despite his death, has not changed the situation. New York State does not have fertility fraud legislation on its books. Shit, even the city of Rochester that has three or four doctors just in the city, I mean, you would think that like, oh, maybe we could do something about it and, you know, pass what? a local, which I know Rochester, it's not the case. Rochester, what the, is it, is it the garbage plates? Like what's going on? It's probably that. Yeah, I don't know what, what sort of poison the, the Kodak I, oh god yeah that we've been you know ingesting uh for anyone will... who doesn't know garbage plate is a rochester delicacy of <laughs> um it is the ultimate dr hangover drunk food in the in the world um and yeah uh it's it's undefeated against uh hangovers so oh, if yeah. you're in rochester and you over serve yourself you might want to find plate. yourself a garbage plate but in defense of rochester um, despite its physicians, I will say Joe Morelli, who's the the U.S. representative in District 25, who represents uh, Rochester and, and some surrounding areas at, at the federal level. When we went in January, he he took um, my meeting. Not only did he take my meeting, but I mean that in a literal sense. A lot of times what will happen is you'll reach out to a congressional aide or something like that. And that's who you'll end up having a meeting with, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Like to have a forum and someone who's willing to hear you and to consider you is, is really important. Joe Morelli was one of the few members of Congress who actually came to the meeting himself. And not only that, had clearly done his homework um, and, and research on the matter prior to meeting with me. So Joe Morelli, um, if you're among the people who, who hear this or whatever, I'm incredibly grateful to you um, because you are not an indication of how Rochester <laughs> collectively seems to have viewed this matter. Um, and he has signed on to HR 451. So I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to him. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all, all of the, that other stuff out there being what it is, is, is exactly that it's noise. 
And actually, even as I'm saying this to you now, I can realize that that has been a consistent theme throughout my very, you know, ignorant first stages of even trying to find answers is like all of the things around me trying to get to the truth or the the right result or outcome. Um, there's always going to be noise around that. There's always going to be things, you know, yeah. to distract or deter you or whatever. But, and this is one of the few times I can say in my life with total confidence that I know I'm doing the right thing. Yes. And I don't give a shit about what gets in the way of that. Um, and I don't mean that to sound, you know, you know, full of bombast or anything like that, but like, I know how much this matters. I'm grateful that it's not affecting me on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, and in fact, that's, you know, maybe what gives me a little bit of a superpower is that I can talk confidently about this thing, knowing that it needs to change and not being worried about ruffling feathers in the same way. Um, because I am in, you know, in a, in a better place for myself, but yeah, there's, there's no question in my mind that like, I'm, I'm not going to stop my involvement until the work is done. Um, and I'm really grateful because it's not something that I'm, I'm sitting here saying as if like, I'm the one, you know, doing the lifting. I'm, I am one, you know, one little foot soldier in, in a growing group of them of, of really incredible yeah. people who, who see in a lot of ways, the, the crystal clear things that I do with regard to the importance of this, this legislation and these efforts. And I don't want, you know, similar how I said, I want us to be the last, you know, people on this ship. I also want us to be the last ones who don't have a legal backing to, to provide justice yeah. uh, for, for ourselves or our mothers. Like I can't wait for the day and it will happen when we are on Capitol Hill celebrating a, a whole bunch of us about the passage of a federal legislation that makes this the crime that it unequivocally is and should have been for a lot longer. Well, then let's 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 help us let's help us get there. Help David and I have the celebration that we so desperately want. Um, which is the passing of H.R. 451, which is the federal fertility fraud legislation. Just a reminder, fertility fraud, as we said, currently has the fertility fraud legislation has only been passed in 11 states. 11. That's fucking it. That's insane. And then when you think about like state state borders and everything, it just it gets it gets funky. That's why we need federal legislation. So yeah. with that. You need to help us, and you can help us because uh, we recently got the fertility fraud legislation last year passed in Ohio and uh, made a bunch of videos about that, and my fucking followers were just the most badass motherfuckers. We, the Ohio got, boom, 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 Sorry. got <laughs> hundreds of emails and phone calls, and it got the fertility fraud legislation passed. Actively, I don't, mean, I don't mean to interrupt you on your own podcast. Unequivocally, Laura High, you and your followers are the reason that there is fertility fraud legislation in Ohio. End of sentence. I and I I say that not for for your ego because I know you don't even have one about it. But to to use this compliments as an example, bounce off. They don't. That's just the compliments <laughs> on the floor. It's just gonna it's gonna live and die there. It's that's all right. Well, don't worry. I'll, I'll throw more at you later. But what yeah. I will say is. <laughs> For, for anybody like listening and saying, man, like government and the legislators and who the, you know, like, who am I reaching out to, right? Like, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but like, if you're of the mind that you 
you can't do something, that government is too slow to move. I would say in a lot of cases that's true. But the legislators on either side of, of your political spectrum, where I don't I don't care where, which side you're on, Republicans and Democrats have really shown up for this because they have both acknowledged this is different in the sense that this like when they're talking been... about tax code, like they don't see the people, like they see the people, they understand like this yes. is real life changing. This work is bipartisan. For, for some of these people. Fertility fraud has been that magic bullet of bipartisan yes. power. Um, yeah, you want to bring the country together? And fucking donor for, it's donor conception, guys. So we yes, are the answer. You can, yep, you just, can be the change that America needs. Just inseminate us into your hearts. Okay, um, <laughs> that's why it's insemination because uh, the yes, it's it's bringing us together. But yes, it is. It has been magically bipartisan, so we can get this passed and we've already seen what can happen when you email or you call your legislature uh, and what yeah. we need is for more and more legislatures to sign on to it um that's right because we need to get this um we because right now it is we're, we're waiting for it to get a date um on the calendar where where is it right now uh that's that's correct we're essentially waiting for um the opportunity to get this in front of the, the house judiciary committee speaking of ohio uh jim jordan chairs that committee so the ability to for ohio constituents in particular um to reach and and you know flood jim jordan's office with uh with requests to pay attention to this is is of extra critical uh nature in general and, yes and having you more... and you don't just have to be an ohio constituent you don't for for to, to contact right. jim jordan i will have all the contact information in the caption for this episode in terms of who to contact um awesome. specifically but yes right now if everybody can just email call jim jordan's office and, and say give fertility fraud legislation hr h is in house r is in rosemary 451 you it needs to go um we 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 need it we need it to, that to get on the calendar mm -hmm. call them i would i will also say um assuming that that is not the expedited path that we're hoping for um i'm optimistic but i'm realistic at the same time the you can also reach out to your local um legislator as well and and here's something that i will offer as well which is i know that that can feel complicated to people to say okay well i don't even know how to find their email and then there's also the legislative director for some of these mm -hmm. folks. I uh, have this information. I have like the the list of you know by educate um, us. Yes. So um, so what I will say is I, I can't list you know all 500 some odd of them over here. But you're more than welcome to email me. Um, can I read my email address here? I guess. Uh, um, I I I can. I'll I'll put David Barry's email address in the in the captions if you want that. Yeah. Your, your contact to um, have the best way to contact you? Because what I'm happy to do is give you the email addresses for for your legislator, along with like their legislative aid or, or lead, um, and also draft the email. Um, I, so I will say, just... I will say, I will say, here's the only thing. We're going to give you David's contact under one condition. He's married. OK, <laughs> he's married because when I've done videos with David, when I have, I get a lot of people commenting. Oh, my God, he's gorgeous. Oh, my God, I want him. Oh, my. And I'm just letting you guys know he is happily married. No thirsty emails. This is OK. I understand he is the donor conceived heartthrob. I get it. But 
Let's keep it respectful. Let's keep it business. Oh, okay. All right. Again, in this in this very small subset of of celebrity that doesn't yeah, it's too far of an outlier. I, I, you, I, uh, I was sending you screenshots. I'm like, you have some fans. It's uh, it's been a real long time since I have felt seen. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was nice to know. Um, so so yeah. keep it professional, guys. We'll we'll keep it professional. But but seriously, I I will help you track down the the legislator and the legislative aide who to email uh, with this information, what to email so that your participation is as easy as possible. Because I know, you know, a stranger on a podcast asking you to do something is is a reach. But if you're willing to do that much, I will make sure that I, I help you go the rest of the way. Um, the more legislative co-sponsors that we can get on this, it just becomes sort of like a like a snowball effect. It just becomes harder and harder to ignore. Yes. As as of right now, and I have the, the link open, there are 43 legislative uh, co-sponsors on this bill, which is if, phenomenal. Uh, it's significant. Yes. That's significant. It, it is a significant number, um, but it's it's still not obviously at the place where it's gotten onto a, an agenda for a vote. So I won't belabor the point. My email address, I guess, will be in the in the meeting notes, meeting notes, um, the, the episode caption, notes. The caption, yes. And uh and I'm I'm more than happy to help uh, put you on on the track to to support us and and if you do thank you in advance. And th this is this is everybody. This is I mean this is in my opinion and in many people's opinion fertility fraud is a this is a sexual assault. It it is a different form of it. It's it's using different tools, but this is. And yeah. right now this form of sexual assault is completely legal with no re repercussions. So let's. Let let let's at least let's get this off the table. Let's let's take this heinous act away, um, and make these people face justice. Um, and as we are winding down, um, Doctor Wartman had a very surprising death. Um, yeah. passed away in a crane a plane crash. Um, with now understanding your full story and everybody's going like, holy shit, how are you, how are you doing? I, I appreciate you asking. Um, and I would say the first couple of days were, were weird. <laughs> um, I would imagine so. Yeah, because exactly that. Like, if you're sitting there listening and you're not sure, like, what the right reaction is, well, I'm part of your club because <laughs> I don't know either. I I still don't know what the right reaction is. Um, I will say that there. We mentioned the word nuance and complicated earlier. Like, the, this is I I can't yeah. imagine the complexity of emotions with this. Yeah, and I don't don't want to overuse those, but they still happen to be the the right ones. Yeah. I, I will say to an extent, I did feel that there was a loss. Um. Now, in terms of it being personal, you know, meaning like I feel like I, I lost him. I didn't have a relationship that was taken from me, you know, like we had a phone call. Um, but I do feel like even if it was naive to assume that it, I, I think part of me believed at some point I was going to when we talk about passing fertility fraud legislation, like I thought that was going to happen. And then I was going to see justice brought, um, you know. In, in some form or, or an acknowledgement, you know, I'll be honest. I, I wanted an acknowledgement as my form of justice to hear him yeah. say, I did this. 
I had my reasons. I understand why it was not the right thing to do. And I'm yeah. sorry, Some, something to that effect would have really, you know, I can't say what it would have done, but I, I were, feel like that would have you were been nice to hear. You were hoping for closure, some kind of closure. I have an interesting, you know, feeling about closure in general. And regardless if this had been my case or not, I think that closure is not something anyone else can give you. I think it seems that way because we want others to intervene and and some way um, step up, and that should happen. So let me let me clarify: people should own up to their their wrongs, and anybody who is waiting for someone to give them closure does deserve it. Yeah. But a lot of times we don't get it, and if we do get it, it's not in the form that we want. And even if it is, it's rarely enough to actually give us closure. I think, and I have learned that closure has to come from, from you, not you, Laura. <laughs> uh, I, it's actually Laura's job, everybody. But <laughs> Oh no, that's, oh my God. I have a lot of paperwork I got to do. Okay. I mean, I will try and help everyone with their closure as much I, as I, I didn't can. Tell you, I didn't give you a warning. Yeah. Oh Laura my God. is responsible for everybody to close on anything. I am. Way. Oh Not my God. This. Okay. Yeah. I have a lot. I have a lot to learn about like tax law. Jesus. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> wow. Okay. Don't worry. We'll have a part four. We'll, we'll go through that as well. <laughs> I am. I mean, yeah, everyone, if you want to stand up a comedian to help you with your closure, sure. It's going to be real weird. We're going to get real funky about it, but I'll do my best. Um, it is your job. So thank you for stepping up. Yeah. <laughs> but no, jokes aside, like that closure was always going to have to come from me. And his death was a reminder of that, that like if I was going to ever find peace with this situation, then I had to be doing I had to be finding peace for from me in the way that I was going to get that. And I th I think closure for me is still ongoing. I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I have resolved a lot of things in this and I have not still made sense of how he fits into my life um, yeah. because I can't undo it. I can't remove the DNA. Um, know that anyone's tried that. I imagine I would fall apart and, and I'd be dead. Um, but I, you know, I see his, his face um in in mine and i know that his his dna is in my son and i can't do anything about that that for me is the i think the biggest thing that i'm still navigating and i suspect i hope i'm wrong but to some extent i always will i i hope that the amount uh, of time and, and energy that is invested into thinking about that minimizes over time and it certainly has but in terms of closure and and forgiveness, um, I I don't hold the grudge because it's it happened and yeah. I can't undo it. I can fight for justice. I can you know push to do the the right thing and to and to hopefully help others and including some of my own you know um, half siblings. Um, but even even if that never happens, like I'm the one who has to decide to. Yeah to embrace whatever it is that has happened and, and move on uh, or, or move forward with it. Yeah. So I know that's a great answer to it, but it's a work in progress. And I'm, you know, in terms of where, where he fits now having it, you know, a couple of weeks later, yes, I mentioned that shock lasted for a couple of days. Now I'm back to this place of saying, I'm still in that in-between space of knowing that, I'm here because of him and I don't want anyone else to arrive this way because it shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And 
that's still how I feel, how I felt in his life. And that's how I feel in death. And I suspect that it's going to be that way. I think that that was a nuanced, complicated, (laughs) unanswerable, and I, I think that's the exact answer that that was. I think that was an exceptionally un- understandable answer to that question. Um, I appreciate cause... that. And, and I'm trying to really believe it too. You know, it's, it's one thing for me to say it and it's a process to continue to believe it. Yeah. Um, this is going to take time. I mean, this is still very new. Um, and this is going to take time. And I hope that you and I hope all of your siblings and anybody who, um, has gone through something similar, all products of fertility fraud, all victims of fertility fraud, be kind to yourself. This is a weird process. And I know that society and everyone around you is going to tell you how you should feel about this and fuck the noise. What, how do you feel? And you take it day by day. And thousand percent. This is complicated. And as you said, we do as, as human beings, we do really struggle with the fact that two things can be true. Um, we really struggle with that. And the more that we embrace that, that things are very complicated, the, the more, the better we will be as a society. Are there things that are black and white? Are there things that are just yes and no? Absolutely there are, but there is, we are complicated beings and we have complicated emotions and there are complicated truths. Yeah. And we need to acknowledge that. I appreciate you saying all of that. And and one thing I'll add as well is, you know, maybe you're listening like to this and and this is new for you. I'm I'm thankful to say that when I first discovered I was donor conceived and I talked about like the shock that that was, I happened to arrive there at a place when I was in a good place mentally, but I imagine a scenario where maybe I wasn't. And that was the scenario, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. It can be un- like unquestionably one of the most isolating feelings because you you still have a family yeah. that is not going to ever understand exactly what you're feeling. Even yeah. if they're doing their best job to try, they're never yeah. going to understand. You have friends and, and maybe even you know siblings that you grew up with who are also not going to understand. There are groups out there, and I'm thankful that I found them in time, um, but you are not alone in that regard um you know there's there's right to know as i mentioned and, and so many others of, of folks who've been on you know uh, been on this podcast too like there is a, a group of people out there who and when we went to the right to know um untangling our roots summit in, in march in louisville it was you know and i've been dealing with this for you know for years it's not like a new space for me but the second i walked in i felt at home because I knew that there were other people who I didn't have to explain myself to who immediately like disarmed me because I felt like we shared, you know, something in that regard. And so I'm going a little off tangent, but I, I hope that you know that there are resources for you uh, out there so that you don't go through this alone um, and you'll get there. You, you will get there. And I do think that you, you hit um, uh, on a perfect place to end this is being donor conceived is very inherently isolating. So to fight back, find the community, 
find the donor conceived community. You you don't have to be like David and I, okay? You don't have to be us, but find the community. And even if you're a silent member in the community, at least read the posts of other members of our community because you will hear your story constantly echoed. You're going to hear your feelings validated. You're going to see you are not alone. And that will be healing. I That alone put me in a place where I was able to publicly talk about this and really start advocating. Um, So I am a massive, massive advocate for donor-conceived people finding the community. It is so needed. And look what we've done in such a short amount of time of finding each other. Look what we've all done. We have been actively chipping and changing this industry within a matter of like a few years. Yeah. Since we've all found each other because of social media and DNA testing sites. So come come play. We have snickety snacks and we and Laura and I are going to have more of them very soon. That's what we, we discussed. So <laughs> we will. And it's we. Yes. No, come come hang out. Come hang out with David and I. We we party and we we actually and, and we we had a treat yourself meal and it was delightful. It was. It was. It was a nice experience at the at the Untangling Our Roots Summit. We it was did a, a fantastic event. We had a uh, a grilled brioche peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It was delightful. Oh my gosh, you have a great memory. That was phenomenal. <laughs> it was really good. Holy crap! Yes, I forgot how good that was. That was but quite hold nice. on. Let's be honest. I think we also ate salads before we ate that. We Is did that because we were like, we're gonna have like healthy fiber and be like, mm, look at all this nutrition food, and now brioche in my face. <laughs> It's called balance, you know. It's that's that's what's balance. necessary in life. Absolutely, <laughs> we were having like we were talking about trauma, so it was like, okay, let's nourish ourselves and let's nourish our soul. It's all good. And, and it, yeah, eat your feelings a little bit. It's <laughs> uh, it's all part of the process. <laughs> it was, and it was delightful. Uh, well, David, thank you again, and for everybody again, David's email is going to be in the caption. Um, Jim Jones' uh, contact is going to be in the caption. I will have more. Um, uh, links. Jim, Jim Jordan. Sorry, Jim Jordan. Oh, not Jim Jones. For a second, different like, bad Jim. Jim Jones could take you in two different directions. There's Jim Jones, I think the the Kool Aid guy, and then there's yeah. Jim Jones, the the rapper from South Florida, actually. <laughs> so not don't email them. They they won't. Don't help email you. them. They're not gonna they're not gonna help out with this one. Uh, Jim Jordan, <laughs> guys, this is mm, mm-hmm. this is why I'm a stand-up comedian, um, because I say dumb shit a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's why, and I'm not the one writing the legislation. I just I I yell in in my phone to get people to, but. So Jim Jordan, his contact information, and we'll also have links to help you find your legislature. So we were, we're going to help you. Let's get fertility fraud legislation passed federally. And David, thank you for your story, your vulnerability, your fucking advocacy. And I and personally, thank you for your friendship. I appreciate you uh, for, for all of those reasons and more. And yeah, I've said this like a number of times, but no one else is doing what you're doing this way um, at this scale. And and you're a hero. I mean it. No, thank you. That was cute. But uh, I appreciate that. I think I think we can we can give that title to like Eve Wiley. She, she get that crown. Also a hero. By uh, the way, remember, what is the lesson we learned here? It, Two things can be true at the same time. Yeah, I'm sorry. I run around in a sperm suit. I don't um, I I'll, I'll I can be your your goober. But, you know. 
Um, not all heroes wear capes, but some do, and some of them are sperm. And some of them are capes. sperm suits. Yeah. yeah. I I I I really um we were trying really hard for me to run um uh run in front of Matt Getz's office in my sperm suit, but we we couldn't <laughs> orchestrate it and I was like fucking goddamn there's really always next you. time. There's always, always next time. there's always next time, guys. Um, but thank you again. Have a wonderful day. And for everybody listening, please like, subscribe, leave a review because that kind of bullshit helps. And remember, the whole thing is filmed. So if you want um, to watch it visually, it's it's all there for you. Um, but have a delightful day and go have a snickety snack because we're certainly going to. That's uh, that's my aim. I got a belly to fill. Belly to fill. Absolutely. <laughs> have a great day, everyone. You too.